This is the Stanley Avenue Church of Christ podcast. We're going through Acts. We are in Acts chapter 5 primarily. We'll be beginning by reading those uh, passages and then make some comments from it, starting in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed anything of their own possession, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work within them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time those who owned the land or houses sold them, and brought the money of the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whose apostle whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received of the land? Did it not belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, was the money not at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down dead, and great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some of the young men came forward and wrapped his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Well, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. And at that moment she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the, among the people. And all the believers who used to meet together at Solomon's colonnade, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed." Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At at daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin and fully assembled the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look! The men you have put in jail are standing out in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went, he and his officers, and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. 
The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared and claimed to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. Now he was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and all of it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of, of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of, and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, uh, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, Permenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, to a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. This section here expands on the growth of the church. Uh, the church has been growing ever since chapter 2, and uh, it has continued to grow. And uh, thousands came to the Lord in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, in the beginning of 4, we read that thousands more came to, uh, to a knowledge of the truth. And they also became Christians. And so that pattern just continues to expand throughout this section as well. In chapter 4 and verse 32, we find that the Christians fulfilled the needs that were among them. As uh, Christians were continually converted, especially at the time of Pentecost, you can imagine that there was an influx in population and not very many jobs to uh, sustain that population that stayed in Jerusalem. And so, uh, they had need. 
And so the Christians who had brought and they shared freely with each other. We find this happening at the end of Acts chapter 2. And it appears that once uh, they were uh, basically done uh, handing out gifts and, and needs uh, to people that they knew, they would then bring it to the apostles. Once they had uh, exhausted their immediate resources, they, they then went to the apostles and said, we have more that we want to give, and we don't know who needs it yet, but maybe you do. So they laid it at the apostles' feet to distribute. And uh, of course, uh, Barnabas was one such person who sold his tract of land and uh, brought it to the apostles' feet. And we're going to read a good bit about Barnabas uh, later on. And so uh, he basically establishes this great and high precedent to the point of selling an entire tract of land. And of course, the modern equivalent of that would be tens upon tens of thousands of dollars, perhaps even into the hundreds. And this is a great gift, and it's to be used for the needy saints. And of course, he brings it to the apostles. Uh, feet to distribute because uh, they are the ones who are helping to officiate the uh, the church and the workings of it. Now, eventually, the apostles are going to have to basically relinquish their uh, work over the treasury, as we see in Acts chapter six. But at this point in time, they're still uh, the best people to uh, to uh, make sure that these things happen the way they should. And so now we read in, in chapter five about. Uh, uh, kind of a unique situation here. Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, want to do something good. So they sell a tract of land, and then they bring this to the apostles' feet. They're, they're obviously trying to mimic what Barnabas had done. They're obviously trying to get some amount of glory or honor that Barnabas had gotten. Even we look at this situation and say, wow, Barnabas, um, that was a very notable and, and worthy thing to do. Well, Ananias and Sapphira were basically wanting to add their name to that list, but they weren't quite willing to go as far as Barnabas did. They still wanted some of the money. And the problem here is not that they wanted to keep some money. The problem is they wanted to deceive uh, both the, the, the church and God. They wanted to weasel their way into honor and popularity while still reaping the benefits of having a bunch of money. And the problem is that deception is not the way the Lord's church works. You can't just appear to be righteous. You got to actually be righteous. And so uh, they're lying to the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a gift that is for God's work. And, and Paul brings out this point here that while it was yours, you're allowed to do what you want to with it. But once you bring it before the apostles' feet, it's now the churches to use uh, for the, the needy saints. And uh, you got to be careful that you, you don't deceive your way into some form of self-righteousness. And God chooses to make an example of this. And to us, this might seem like a very harsh example. I mean, it's not like Ananias and Sapphira were, were uh, abusing people. They were actually doing something good. Uh, with this money. And so, uh, this actually mirrors, I believe, intentionally, the story of Nadab and Abihu back in Leviticus chapter 10. God would, had just set up his new people. He had just set up his new tabernacle and the worship processes of it, just like the Christians here had just been established. The church was just starting and getting uh, going. And, and God is going to choose to use this as an example at the beginning to teach everybody about what he thinks on the matter. And of course, back in Leviticus chapter 10, we have a couple interesting uh, similarities here. Of course, the Nadab and Abihu offered fire which the Lord had not commanded, and so God killed them instantly. 
Well, here we have uh, Ananias and Sapphira who are bringing a uh, a goodwill offering. They are bringing something that the Lord had not commanded them, uh, but not in a negative sense. This was supposed to be in a positive sense, but their attitude what was the problem here. And, and it may reflect back on Nadab and Abihu. It, it may have been that their attitude was greatly to blame for the, uh, sever- for the severity that God uh, punished them with. So their punishment was instant death, and so was Ananias and Sapphira's here. And of course, we, from a third-person perspective, don't have the right to judge or blame God's decision on the matter. God knows their hearts and knows uh, that they were uh, worthy of death in this case. But the main issue back in Leviticus 10 verse 3 had to do with holiness and honor. Nadab and Abihu were not honoring God, they were treating him as rubbish. And so it, it appears that uh, Ananias and Sapphira were ultimately doing the same thing here. And uh, Peter says in verse 9 that they were putting the, the Spirit of the Lord to the test the same way that the people of Israel put God to the test, and of course that merited uh, death in several situations in the Old Testament when they put God to the test in such a way. Or in verse uh, 11 we see the result The result of uh, Ananias and Sapphira's death is that great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Well, holiness and honor was the point here, and uh, God killed uh, Nadab and Abihu for really the same purposes. They were dishonoring him, and he must be treated as holy. And so when this happened, it was an object lesson for the rest of uh, Nadab and Abihu's family and for the rest of Israel, that God is to be treated as holy and reverent. And that appears to be a very similar occurrence here. And of course, the uh, the bodies of Nadab and Abihu were carried out by their own kinsmen. And here, uh, these group of young men were responsible for burying uh, Ananias and Sapphira, dragging them out and burying them all together as well. Ultimately, this story is about uh, doing the right things for the right reasons. Wanting to do the right things with selfish motives is a dishonor to God. If we're going to do the right things, we need to do them with the right attitudes as well. God is not just after the sacrifice, remember Jesus said. Uh, sacrifice is not what pleases the Lord. He wants your heart. Ananias and Sapphira were not giving their heart, and uh, it was a dishonor to God. And, and everyone else needed to learn from this. And it appears that they did. And because of the signs taking place through the apostles' hands, many people were strengthened in their faith. And the disciples themselves were being noticeable, noticeably separate from the people. It says that they gathered at the temple, but nobody else would associate with them, even though they respected them. They could tell that these Christians were upright people, they were good people, but... They were not associated associating with them for fear that they would there would be a partly maybe a negative reflection upon them from the rest of the Jews, but then also partially because there is an, an amount of fear. I mean, a situation like this, you can imagine the rumors that start here, uh, but that does not stop people from being converted, uh, even though the the Christians are not being associated with by the Jews, when the Jews understand and they are converted, they associate together as Christians. There is this separation between Christians and Jews. There is not this intermingling uh, between them, and that uh, becomes important as we go. 
And there is uh, no doubts about God's power with the situation. God is healing them. The people are coming, begging to be healed. Again, just like Jesus, there's no doubt where God's power lies. And so the problem here that the Sanhedrin Council has is not based on the evidence. Uh, they're not asking the questions, uh, can we really think, uh, believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? They aren't even asking that question. They're saying, uh, due to, in verse 17, their jealousy... They're just wanting to shut up the apostles because they could tell that they're going to lose their power if this trend continues. And because these are Sadducees, uh, this is going to reflect ill upon their own teachings about the resurrection. They, The Sadducees, remember, did not believe in the resurrection, and so uh, this was something that they were not willing to stomach. In uh, verse 20, uh, after the apostles were arrested and then the angel is freeing them, the angel tells them to go preach the whole message of this life. Uh, This really becomes the the motto for them as they continue to go on. All the apostles continue to preach no matter what the fullness of the gospel, which is this new life, this new way of perceiving uh, their, their own state, their own religion. Uh, This is a new life for them, and they are charged with proclaiming it fully. And they're going to keep doing that, no matter what the council here says. All right, so in verse 28, um, the council, as they gather together, are charging the disciples again, and they're saying, we told you not to talk about him. You're trying to uh, bring guilt on us for Jesus' blood. And of course, Peter turns right around and says, well, you are guilty uh, for this blood. There, there's no avoiding this. You can't ignore your guilt on the matter. I kind of feel like the council behaves more and more rashly and more and more focused and intently because of their guilt. They are guilty and they know it. And because of it, they try to fight even harder to cover it up. Uh, to the point where this whole situation is going to continue to escalate through chapter 7 and through chapter 8. Well, there is a a noticeable difference now, then, between God's will and their will. In verse uh, 29, Jesus, or rather Peter, points that out. We must obey God rather than men. You are clearly telling us to do something opposite of what God told us to do, and we have the signs to prove it. We have just been freed miraculously from prison in order to preach this. And so there's a rift now between the the council and God, and that is evident to everybody. It's evident to them, to the apostles, and really to anybody who wants to honestly look into the situation. And this, in verse 33, the severe reaction appears to be, to me, related to the preaching of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter says that they have the Holy Spirit. And uh, in part, that's because the Sadducees, again, don't believe in the spirits. And so this would have uh, struck a chord with them and their own teachings and doctrine. Also, uh, for the rest of the council who were Pharisees, who did believe in the Holy Spirit, they would have been hit hard by this because it implies that they did not have the Holy Spirit like they thought they did. Instead, they were the ones fighting against it. And, of course, that's essentially Gamaliel's advice in verses 34 through 39, which is, look, if these men uh, have God on their side, we can't stop them. There's nothing we can do. Rather, uh, let them fizzle out. Now, Gamaliel doesn't appear here to be persuaded by the Christian belief. He's just expressing common sense and uh, a consistent way of thinking, and it's wise counsel uh, nonetheless. Now, Gamaliel himself may very well believe that their teaching is going to die out, 
and we don't know how long he lives after this. Uh, he himself does not appear on the scene again. Uh, Paul, that we're going to read about later, was trained by Gamaliel, and so he was a staunch Pharisee. And so likely Gamaliel is thinking that these men are just going to fizzle out because God is on uh, their own side and not on the side of the apostles. Well, God is going to let his message uh, be evident as the apostles and the church continues to have success. And so Gamaliel's advice here, uh, while it seems wise to the council now, as time goes on, they're going to start to realize that really God is on the side of the apostles and they're probably going to um, not let that affect their uh, their thinking. So the apostles, they are flogged. Uh, this is kind of a standard procedure, you know, slap on the wrist. A flogging is a little bit more severe than a slap on the wrist, but it's something to give them a reminder by. They send them out, and they consider it a, a joyful event. You know, they, they are praising God. They're rejoicing uh, that they would be considered worthy to suffer shame. Uh, for the name of Jesus. Uh, this is their attitude about this, and you kind of get that same sense back in chapter 4, uh, when the same thing happened to Peter and John. They they kind of went out and uh, talked to the rest of the brethren, and they, they went on preaching boldly and uh, with joy. And uh, it says here at the end of the chapter, they, they went on preaching. They did not stop. Nothing could stop them. They kept right on teaching and preaching the name of Jesus. So they completely ignored the council's wishes here, and that's to be expected, uh, because uh, the council was preaching something completely opposite of God's will on the matter. And this takes a good amount of fortitude that you and I can learn from as well. Uh, technically, we can know the truth, we can know what God wants us to do, but when the peer pressure comes and when the, you know, when the, the temptation comes and, uh, to not speak up, the pressures sometimes are going to override what we know to be true. Well, these apostles here uh, are noteworthy because they are standing up to against that pressure, and they're continuing to speak the truth no matter what, and we need to learn from them uh, to be like this as well. Well, the first seven verses of chapter 6, then, I pair with this section because uh, it still has to do with the growth of the church here. The congregation was really growing so large in verse 1 that the logistics of taking care of their widows indeed was was very difficult, and it was to the point where the apostles couldn't keep up with it anymore. Uh, the church is, is authorized to care for widows indeed who have no other source of income. Read about that over in uh, 1 Timothy chapters 4 and 5. Uh, but here, the, the problem is that uh, it's primarily the Jew and Gentile um, uh, discrepancy again, the, the Gentile uh, widows are not being treated the same as the Jew widows, and so the apostles have to step in again, and so they say, let's just appoint people that everybody can recognize as being wise and fair about the matter, and they will help distribute all the needs uh, to these widows as uh, as it comes up. And so they choose seven men who are uh, described as of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, full of wisdom, and uh, they have many Jews here, as well as a proselyte, a convert, uh, Nicholas, from Antioch. And so it's not that the Jews were against the Gentiles. They had Gentile widows and here a convert uh, to Judaism. Uh, so they, they were fully willing to accept that uh, these people could also be uh, partakers with them. And so the apostles lay their hands on these men, and of course that signifies a a certain amount of authority that they're giving these people to do this task, a, a dedication that this is their job to do, 
And of course, some of these men are, we're, we'll read about later on. Stephen is going to be the primary uh, person of interest in the next uh, chapter. Uh, the man Philip is going to also be a story in the story in uh, chapter 8. And so uh, these men are going to come back uh, later on. Well, the church continues to grow in verse 7. The word of the Lord continues uh, to uh, spread. And this is by God's design. And to the point where even it mentions that many priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Uh, the priests really were probably the the most ingrained in the law. They they are the ones who had to abide by the law of Moses to the T and and to the point where many of the other Israelites never had to uh, to dedicate themselves. And so the priests, many of them, are coming to a faith. Probably the reason why Luke mentions that is due to the events that we've just witnessed. Uh, the priests would, would have been the ones privy to everything happening in chapter 5. They would have witnessed that, um, that the apostles were uh, captured and put in prison. They would have witnessed and uh, know that something freed them and claimed to be an angel. And of course, most of the priests were Sadducees. And so this challenges their thinking. Even though the leaders don't dedicate themselves, the leaders want to ignore. But the uh, the rest of the priests, when they witness these things, the miracles, the uh, the teachings about the Holy Spirit, they're persuaded. Uh, they, they are finally able to understand and change their opinions about how these things uh, work. And of course, that says a lot about the gospel. We, we read here about priests. Later on, we read about even Pharisees who are coming to a knowledge of the truth. Everybody has an opportunity to come. And so the Lord's kingdom is, is going to continue to grow. Nothing can stop God's kingdom. We, as far as we are concerned, must obey God rather than men. This is a, a message for all of us throughout all ages. So thank you for listening to this uh, podcast. We're going to be studying more through the book of Acts. Hope you find more at stanleyavenuecoc.org. Thank you for listening.